Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to the 60-second episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enloe. Today we've got a packed episode. We're catching up on all sorts of topics, including uh, the quality of life a director has, when to say no to work, we're coming back to that one, and then also disappointing your client in branded or commercial work. Kind of a bummer, and we're going to talk about how you deal with that. And also, we've got a ton of listener feedback, so it's going to be a varied and packed episode. I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, it's been a while since just the two of us caught up on what's going on and the things we've been thinking about. And something that Matt has been telling me about lately is that sometimes we feel like the listeners of our podcast get the impression that we're like very much struggling in our careers and pursuits and very unhappy, which I do think is part of our, <laughs> our charm sometimes. But you've been wanting to talk a little bit about like our lives personally and like people like us and how they're not that bad, even though we are working in the arts. Yeah. You know, I think that there, you kind of have two different visions of what it is to be a filmmaker. You've got like your big Hollywood hotshots, right? And those guys are millionaires and they live in the hills and, you know, they're Judd Apatow or whatever. And they're so, so rich and they're kingpins, right? And then you've got the idea of a starving artist, right? And you and I live very squarely in between those two ideals. But I think that it's tricky because when you think about that, you think like, oh, okay, well, you know, they're not a starving artist, but, you know, we're both working professionally and all of our friends are working professionally um, and have really great lives. And so it's funny, your daughter just turned one um, and we were, you know, you had everybody over and like, I remember... It's a great party. You know, we all had tacos. It was exactly, it's like your Silver Lake first birthday party. Yeah, it's like, there's like a template because I've been to like so many first birthday parties in the last few months and everyone gets like a taco truck or a taco stand. It was really fun. And I just remember like I was looking around and, you know, kids are running around all over the place. All of our friends are there. It's like, oh, these people are in development. There's a, you know, people in costume. There's people running their own production companies. There's DPs, there's shooters, there's actors. All like thriving and having such a great time. And I was like, oh, if we could just show people, you know, or even just travel back in time and show myself what our lives would be like. Like, this is it, right? Like, we're living the dream. And it was so nice to just have that moment and to, to recognize how great it was. And I think that in an attempt to talk to people about the trials and tribulations of what it is to be a director. Sometimes we miss out on explaining how awesome the job is, even if you're not a giant director. Right. And the few kind of more successful people that we know, like the A-listers that we've come in touch with. Sure. I think also... Who are enjoying tacos with us. Yeah. You know? But those people also, I think... If they had a podcast, it would sound a lot like us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I know from the, the few that I know, they're constantly <laughs> disappointed with like the jobs they're doing and wish they had more direction and were more fulfilled in the work that they did. So I think that's just kind of like a running theme of people in the arts in general, would you say? Yeah, I, I would say so. And also you just don't want to brag constantly. That's why I, I wanted to talk about this birthday party. It was just like, it was a really sweet nice experience like the magic of being in the arts is i think that we all mix together and we're constantly like sharing those highs and lows together in a way that um is really accepting and fun and warm you know what i mean yeah i kind of had an epiphany just now while we're talking about this which is to me the the kind of two main modes that you can be in as someone that works in film in la is you can either be kind of disappointed with yourself and your career, or you can be insanely busy. (laughs) Sure. Right. And those are kind of the two extremes of where, at least for me personally, and I think you too, we're always at, like when you have like three jobs going on in one week and you have a treatment due and you have this and that due, you'd have no time to kind of worry about like where you're going. You're just like going nonstop. And then as soon as you finish all those things and you're like, trying to figure out what the next job is, that's when you kind of get into that mode of like, ah, who am I? What's my career? What's, (laughs) My next move is all the work I've done in the past good at all, you know? Well, uh, you know, I think that's due to the work that we do being so personal, right? Regardless of whether it's for a client or a passion project, you know, we do this work because we want to put ourselves into it, you know? Um, And so that takes a lot of emotional energy. 
you can be really exhausted physically working a, a, a hard job, but like, you know, then if you get to leave that job at the end of the day, that's a different experience than constantly emotionally being engaged in trying to uh, make something great, whether that's selling movie tickets or Coke or whatever, or the passion project that you've been working on for the last five years. Right. So something else that you've kind of been talking about with me lately and something that we're wondering, like what our listeners are getting an impression of is there's this idea that once you make it, you don't have to worry anymore. You don't have to hustle. I, I think Tim in the podcast we did with the making movies is hard guys called it the gatekeepers as if like we are trying to penetrate some some line in Hollywood and once we get past it we're on the inside and before we get there we're we're just struggling and I think that's something that, that has been on your mind lately as something that maybe is a misconception yeah I, I mean I think you know again going back to that um that birthday party is like a little microcosm of you know of everything you know we were talking to people who were working for giant corporations who were struggling. We were working with like, we were talking to people who, you know, were, are movie stars. I mean, to put it bluntly, right? Like there, all, there was the range of people there was, was so great in terms of status, we'll say, right? And every single person there was on a real grind um, to make that next step happen. And so, you know, you can look at that as sort of a, a treadmill, right? Or you can look at it as a staircase, but like a staircase without a, a top floor. You know, you're kind of, I think everyone we know, and maybe the thing that makes the difference between being successful and unsuccessful is just that drive to continue to climb your way to the very top. You know, I think the biggest stars in the world or the biggest directors in the world are constantly trying to one up their game for some insane reason that's you know, makes, makes you want to be a filmmaker or an actor in the first place. Right. And I, I think kind of related to this, like we don't want people to think that it's like in the independent film world that it's like us versus like the executives in Hollywood or it's like trying to ask for permission to make movies. Because sometimes people, some of the feedback we've gotten is like, why are you guys asking for permission? I mean, your podcast is called Just Shoot It. Why don't you go and just shoot it? Right. And I don't think that's the way we think about it. I think we are we have ideas and we're trying to get people excited about it mm -hmm. and um the most important people for us to get excited about are the people that can help us you know make it with movie stars and with a lot of money and with distribution and so it's not like we're trying to tear down these people i think it's just part of the fun of hollywood is trying to find the people that are excited about the same ideas as you it's not about who's going to give you a chance or who believes in you or who's the good guys or the bad guys. It's about like, Hey, I have this really great idea for a show. What do you guys think? And if nobody likes it, then you either make it yourself or you come up with more ideas. But, right. but it's not as adversarial, I think, as maybe the impression is outside of, of Hollywood. Yeah. I think like, you know, you hear all these stories of executives ruining things with notes and all that stuff. And we'll kind of get to that a little bit later. But, you know, to me, when you're a little kid, and you've got a video camera, you still have to recruit your friend to hold the camera or to act in the video or whatever it is you're doing, right? That never changes. So recruiting people to be a part of your team, to get behind your vision, that's always going to be the case, whether you're paying people or not, or you were pitching to an executive or making things exclusively. You know, filmmaking is a team sport. And so finding financiers, that's part of it. You have to find people who are into your vision, and that's the challenge that we talk about all the time. But I think that there's that challenge of people misunderstanding that at a certain point, you don't have to do that anymore. Even in the studio system, we know studio guys who are constantly hustling, hustling, hustling to convince a studio head that their next movie is the one that they need to make. To me, there's a little bit of relief and solace in knowing that for the rest of my life, I'm going to be grinding. Then you never have to worry about, oh, when am I going to make it? When am I going to make it? You're, you've made it. You're already there. That grind is continual. And I love it. Grind is even a negative word. We're doing this because it's a thing that we love doing and it makes us happy. And so making movies is part of what we do and being a filmmaker is part of what we do and who we are and what defines us. And so I'm going to do that until I die. 
You know, like I'm going to constantly be looking for financiers. I'm constantly going to be pitching. I'm constantly going to be writing. It will never stop. Right. I think you hit on something really uh, poignant, which is that when you're making your first short film or your indie feature or whatever, you convincing, you know, your DP to come work for free or your actor to work for, you know, Neil's copy and credit or whatever. The same way that you have to convince them is the same way that you have to convince a financier to pay for your project or to listen to your pitch or an agent to meet with you. Um, and if you don't give them a good enough reason, then they're not going to. I heard this interesting story about Naomi Harris, who plays the mother in Moonlight. Sure, yeah. You know, she was nominated for an Oscar, uh, but ironically, she had turned down the role when she was first offered it because she felt like she didn't want to portray like a negative stereotype of an African-American woman. And Barry Jenkins and the other guy who had written the original material it was based on both came to her and they said, like, look, it's not a negative stereotype. This woman is our mom. Like, this woman is based on my mom. She's a real person. She's multidimensional. And this can be, like, a beautiful role. And, of course, you know, she shot it amazingly in three days. She supposedly filmed her entire part and got nominated for an Oscar. But, you know, the same way that, like, Barry Jenkins managed to convince this you know, pretty she, successful actress to be a part of his movie is it's not because he was famous. It's because he managed to like find his way in with her. Right. And so I know we're, we're just going on and on about the same idea, but I think just to summarize and kind of what has been on our minds is that when we talk about our struggles, it's not about our struggles to like get into the system or get into Hollywood or get people to take us seriously. It's literally just our struggles and our day-to-day jobs is the same as like an accountant struggles right. to add up, you know, all these yeah. numbers. It's just like sometimes it's tax to- season and sometimes it's not. Right. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully our listeners. Yeah, I hope that makes sense to people. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about how finding jobs and getting jobs and getting people to listen to our pitches and stuff is just part of our day-to-day. And, you know, we are always trying to, to get work and get our stuff made. But I also wanted to talk a little bit about where we are in our careers. We're getting most of our work is coming from people contacting us and offering us jobs. And that transition from accepting every job to being able to say no to a job. Basically, I was up for three jobs this past week. Right. And I'll tell you about all three of them because by the time this podcast comes out, they'll, it'll already be decided whether I did them or not. The first one is from a company I work with all the time. It's for Coca-Cola. I think the budget is decent and it's a hidden camera thing with a strong production company that has like this amazing hidden camera team and it's like pranks that job it wasn't offered to me but the company offered to recommend me as a director for the job and i love hidden camera stuff i love watching it i love prank stuff i love seeing it on youtube but i'm trying to make a really concerted effort to only work Mm -hmm. on things that i think are related to like my main focus as a director and hidden camera stuff is is nowhere near nowhere Mm -hmm. on that list yeah so I had to decide whether to turn down a paying job potentially or not. And I ended up saying no to that job, which was really hard because it's a company I really like mm-hmm. and it would probably pay well. And the second job is for Chapstick. They have a product called Chapstick Duo, which is like kind of for millennials. And I was actually approached by the agency. Someone oh, had nice. recommended me to the agency and the agency guy contacted me and he said, hey, you know, I like your work. I think you'd be good for this. I would like to pitch you. Is there a production company you normally work with? Mm-hmm. So I actually got to choose which production company I wanted to be teamed up with. I, and I did choose Sawhorse because I oh, thought great. the content was something that they had done a million times. And the concept for the spot is we're taking these four, you know, young teen sure. female YouTube influencers. We're going to give them this product to use for a few days. We're going to have them self-film them using it like mm-hmm. before a date, at brunch, in the morning, after the gym, mm-hmm. etc. And then we are going to bring all four of them together and kind of have them interview each other about their experience with it and also kind of play some games with it where they do like a taste test of the mm-hmm. different flavors blindfolded and try to guess whatever. So, you know, it, it's soft scripted. It's like a... Right. Like we have a list of questions, we have a list of topics we want them to talk about, but we want them to really do it in their Mm -hmm. own voice. So we're trying to kind of feed them topics to talk about in that interview. So this, again, is something that is totally not Mm -hmm. something that's in my like 10 year plan of the type of content. I It's not going to get you a Marvel movie is what we're saying. Exactly. It's not going to get me a Marvel movie. And it's something that I find a little 
<laughs> scary sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's like these guided conversations. Some people are really good at them. Mm-hmm. Um, I find them a little intimidating because I sometimes I panic. You know how when you interview someone, you're like, just make sure to use my question in your answer. Right. And they never do. Like when that happens, like you ask someone like, Tell us about the time that you met James. And they're like, uh, well, I was walking down the street right. instead of, instead well, of, I met James walking down the street. Right. And right. so when that happens, <laughs> I like tell them to phrase the question a couple more times. And when they don't, I like start panicking. Um, yeah, that's yeah. why I like shot lists and I like scripts and I like yeah, yeah. being able to really plan out my shoot. Yeah, 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 totally. But because I was approached for this project directly and I brought in the production company, I felt like I really should pitch on it. So. Yeah, yeah, you should definitely pitch on it. And also, there's that extra incentive of being able to help out your buddies, right? Like, there's a bit of a quid pro quo of like, oh, these guys bring me a ton of work. Now I have the opportunity to reciprocate. We should go for it. Yeah. yeah. So, and not to mention yeah. their portfolio of work is like perfect, perfect. for this. They've done yeah. all this stuff for Teen Vogue and celebrity things yeah. and just real people and influencers and their stuff is all beautiful. So they are the perfect company for right. this project. Right. So, you know, I spent a day making a treatment and doing all that stuff. And it's a job that I took because of how it came to me. Though mm-hmm. so if it was just offered to me, I would have probably, probably turned not. it down. Yeah. Now, the third job is for a tech company, a big tech company, but it's uh, these digital spots for the Latin American market. Oh, cool. And it's, it's are both, they in Spanish? Yes. Okay. There's not really any, there's voiceover and titles and we do like multiple languages. There would be an English version. So they showed us storyboards for three different ones and they said the client's going to choose one of them. Mm -hmm. Now the first spot, which is the easiest to produce is a girl is in her apartment Mm -hmm. and she just bought a new television and a new speaker system and she's not sure how to set them up. And Mm -hmm. so she goes to her next door neighbor's uh, apartment who's this handsome man mm-hmm, sure guy and she asks him for a cup of sugar but she's like hiding the remote control behind her back and then she reveals to him that she actually needs help with her tv so he comes back to her place he sets up the tv he pairs the tv with the speakers with via bluetooth and we mm-hmm. see how that whole thing works and she's like is so a, enchanted by him is it a 30 second spot or is this a they're 45s they're actually oh, they're designed to play in stores like at best buys and oh stuff. i see um, which was weird because they want us to deliver them in 4K because these are 4K right. HD or 4K TVs. Shoot that shit, helium. Yeah, which is a whole, a whole different issue. Anyway, so then she like dances with him because she's like so she's, right. she's falling for him. And now she can play music in her apartment. Yeah. Yeah. Now to me, this is like a very sexist concept. Oh, I yeah, feel yeah, yeah, uncomfortable yeah, yeah. like directing this commercial, and I've even suggested to the agency i was like well what if she comes asking to borrow a cup of sugar and she sees the tv and the speaker are disconnected and she offers to help set him up like as the father of a girl yeah i don't want any girl to ever think that like she needs a guy to like set up her tv for her right you know and so i'm kind of like philosophically opposed to the content Mm -hmm. of, of this commercial but and i mentioned it in the you know they said oh this is for the latin american market this is like what they're into like they like the macho guy and the like Mm -hmm. damsel in distress like that's like that that's their stuff so and i had already kind of pre-committed to doing the job beforehand Mm -hmm. so what do you do in this type of situation where you feel like the creative content look it's just one day of shooting you know a few weeks of editing but what do you do when you feel like the content is goes against kind of what you believe in yeah i mean i think that uh I don't have, I'll say straight up, I don't have a good answer for this. I think that w- whenever you're doing commercial work, your convictions are going to be tested and you kind of have to set those boundaries for yourself. Most Fortune 500 companies, I think, probably do something that we don't agree with pretty regularly. Oh, you mean like why would we work for like a Coca-Cola if they do, or a Nike if they... Yeah, yeah absolutely. They, yeah. Have sweatshop. Yeah. yeah, sweatshops, you know, Which, by the way, policies. I don't think they do anymore. Oh, that's good. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think you kind of just have to set those boundaries for yourself. I don't have a good answer on, on the, the belief system thing. Have you turned down work because you didn't like the on creative? Moral grounds? No, just because you didn't feel like it was going to be a good product based on the script. Mm. Or have you like gotten a script that's like a C plus and you're like, well, we can make this an A if we make these changes and the client says no. I, I'm uh, an egomaniac, so I always think I can make it better. Um, I certainly have had moments on set where I'm like, 
I'm not going to put this one on my website, which is kind of the test of like whether or not. <laughs> right. It's not a good feeling, that's for sure. I, I think that I've had that feeling in the past, and I'm really, really striving to make 2017 a year where I'm only committing to things that I know I can really hit out of the park. You know, look, that's the downside of being a professional director. It's like sometimes, you know, you hit a dry spell and you just need to take a job. I'm kind of up for a music video right now that's, the track is fine and it's fun and I haven't done a ton of music videos. So music videos, you get to do weird things. You know, it's kind of the opposite of branded content where it's like the weirder the better, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But there's never enough money and like you're pulling favors whereas branded content is a way to pay those favors back. It is a perfect comparison, like not a perfect comparison, but it is interesting. Like, do you do a music video for a song that you can't stand listening to? Yeah, well, the answer is no there. Do I do you do a, a music video for a song that you wouldn't choose to listen to? Or you think it's like a very derivative, yeah. like kind of... Yeah, there's you know, a lot of dance song. tracks out there, like a lot of kind of like bubblegum pop that, you know, as a teenager, I would have been like, what? <laughs> How dare you? Um, but I think for this one, I just was like, hey, listen, I want to do some weird stuff. Here the, I'm not going to put a ton of work into this treatment. Here are the weird things I want to do. Take it or leave it. I guess uh, what I was asking was, if you hate the creative and you can't change it, do you still <laughs> do the job? If, if you're getting paid for it. Yeah. Like I said, I think because I'm an egomaniac, I think that I will be able to fix the creative. It's, it's more an issue. I think the bigger question is, like, if on moral grounds you don't agree with the, the message, I think that is something you probably should abstain from. Yeah. Right. Like I was attached to this movie last year. We talked about it, about the you know guy with the Alzheimer's that's trying to mm-hmm. kill all these people before he forgets who they are. And in the original script, there was only two female characters. One was like mm-hmm. the girlfriend uh, that we see in like two scenes. And the other one was like the crazy aunt. Mm-hmm. And to me in 2017, like that's I don't want to make a yeah. movie that has, you know, 40 characters and only two of them are female. Yeah. And uh, frankly, that's lazy you know like it's easy the movie is better for making your your cast more varied and interesting so if they're all dudes it seems like a pretty obvious blind spot yeah i had pitched like well what if we make like this kind of evil drug dealer a woman wouldn't that be Mm kind of cool and the writer who's from a a generation above us was like no i mean that wouldn't be scary like a woman wouldn't be scary drug dealer and i was like are you out of your mind man yeah that's crazy yeah but I don't know, maybe we're just like way too, it's not even about being politically correct. Maybe to me, it's like if I've seen it a hundred times before, I do not want to do it. And that's, you know, part of me is like a feminist and doesn't want to have a woman going to ask this guy to set up her TV. But other part of me is like, like boring yeah, fest. Yeah. Like I saw that 40 years ago yeah. you know, on TV. And what's interesting is in that project, the producer on my production company side, on the agency side, on the client side, they're all women. None of them seem to care about this. Mm. Um, I mean, only one of them is an American woman. Mm-hmm. All the rest of them are like, one's like Latin American, one's Japanese, like in Japan. Um, and so to them, there isn't maybe this like idea that there's anything weird about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there is to me, but I don't know. If you just like f- swap genders at the very least, it's kind of cute and charming. Right. Um, well, I think you're you're hitting on a real the double whammy of it offending your moral beliefs and also your artistic beliefs. That's a that's a big red flag that you know you should tr- you look you did your due diligence you do what you can. You know if they're not down with it, that is what it is. Which I think you know kind of we were going to talk about the our next topic actually is um, when you're working for a commercial clients, you can put your heart and soul into a project and then they undo all of that work and make something worse because they're disappointed in the product that you delivered. Right. Yeah. So I, I wanted to talk about yeah. this because I'm just going to go into the specifics. You know, yeah. I, I talked about this on a couple episodes ago that I did this uh, branded spot for Charmin toilet paper. And the whole concept was it's like this horror movie. This girl comes home from shopping. She has some toilet paper in her hand. It's just like a product placement thing. And every interaction she has with her roommates is like a horror scene like she sees a guy in the kitchen like slashing something and mm-hmm. red stuff flies on the wall and it turns out he's like making strawberry smoothies and being gross about it we see 
you know, she goes to the bathroom, she closes the cabinet mirror door, and like someone in like the scary mask is behind her, and it turns out it's her roommate, but with a facial mask. And then we hear some crazy growling, and it's like a dog tearing up her room. A very like kind of cliche horror movie mm-hmm. moments, but all based and around twist it. roommate yeah. things. Yeah. Um, and then maybe this is why I feel weird about it because they'd always said like we want it to be more comedy than horror, we want mm-hmm. it to be more funny than scary. And I always used Shaun of the Dead as my reference point, right. which I think is like insanely right. funny. Right. But also just rewatching it, it's like pretty scary and pretty gory. Yeah. And pretty dark yep. they don't pull any punches in that yeah. Movie. yeah and they were like oh yeah Shaun of the dead is a perfect perfect reference i don't know we you know you'd seen a rough cut we'd actually changed it a lot we changed the music to go with like a little more comedic music and mm-hmm. i think it was really working but they just decided yesterday that they wanted to remove all horror elements no mm-hmm. strawberry juice splatting on the wall no girl in the mask appearing in the mirror no horror sound effects they just all of a sudden got really scared of Anything that seemed even slightly negative or yeah. scary um, or edgy in their spot. And now I feel like I've disappointed the client in a way. And so, I don't know, it just makes me feel really bad. The production yeah. company has said, like, we're going to finish your cut. So you have, like, oh, the cut for your reel that you yeah. want. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, going back to the idea that, you know, you put so much of yourself into your work, regardless of who it's for. Um, I mean, it's only human to to feel disappointed, you know. And I think you and I both deal with being people pleasers, which is why we're good at commercial work, um, to an extent. Uh, but yeah, I kind of tend to. Um, lately, I've been getting a little angry. Like I would just be like, "Well, then, what is this video even about?" <laughs> right? You know, not not that explosive, but still, like I get like annoyed. Like genuinely, I don't. I've seen this cut. If you take out the horror jokes, what, nothing left. what is the video? There's a girl walking into her house, putting toilet paper in the bathroom, and then seeing her roommates ate her groceries or something. I don't know. It's weird because it, I don't have that. I'm not angry at the client. To me, if someone doesn't like some like mm-hmm. a video, it's a very visceral thing. Mm-hmm. And when they give you notes, like might as well ignore the notes. You just know that they thought it was either boring or not funny. Mm-hmm. So to me, my first instinct is like, let's work on the jokes. Let's get things to land. Let's change the music. Let's change the sound effect. Let's change the pacing. Let's get every moment we want to land, land. But to the client, whatever they saw in it, they didn't like. And so now I just feel like in the pitch, when I was pitching them my treatment and doing all that stuff, I'm like, you're going to love it. And it's going to be this. And this is going to be so funny. And this is going to be so scary. And this is going to be so cool. And then now do they think that I just <laughs> was wrong about everything? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it brings up all this anxiety of like worrying that I'm not communicating what we're doing well, right? I think a lot about like uh, it was um, Tim Tim Nakashi talking about on the video being approached when he's shooting. Sometimes producers will approach and be like, hey, how's it going? And he's like a little bit like, oh, you can't tell? You know, like (laughs) like he, he freaks out like, oh, he's the only person who knows what we're making. And sometimes I have that anxiety as well. And so in commercial work in particular, you most of the job is in explaining that to people, making sure right. that they can Which, execute. by the way, we had the client on set while yeah. we were shooting. Yeah, so you have a bunch of calls. Sometimes you have to go to dinner with them. You have storyboards. You have lookbooks. You, you, know, you, you have pitch calls, all of that stuff to make sure that we all know we're making the same thing. And you are delivering what they want and adding things to it and making it better. And, but... By the time you're shooting, everything's done, right? Like, right. really, you're there just to kind of like course correct, tweak things a little bit. But most of the labor is already taken care of, and so when you get a change like that, you're like, "Well, wasn't I clear? Didn't we talk about this?" And I think it really ultimately boils down to the skills of being able to look at a storyboard or a script or any of the ingredients and know what the recipe is actually going to look and feel and taste like at the end is a, is really a huge challenge. And oftentimes people don't really know what they're ordering. Right. Do you think it's part of our job to understand the corporate side of things? Because this, this one, you know, the kind of parent corporation is Procter and Gamble, mm-hmm. gigantic, gigantic, super, super conservative corporation. 
as opposed to like a Nike, which is also a gigantic corporation, but is willing to be edgy mm-hmm. in a different way. In a, Understanding like a, their corporate culture, you mean? Yeah. yeah. So do you think, like, I'm, I'm just trying to think back, like when they said on our first few calls, like, hey, we want this to be more funny than scary. Like, should I have really course corrected at that point, you know, instead of like mm-hmm. now in the edit struggling to make something that's not scary? You know, I think as a director, your job is to be the guardian of the creative, right? So whenever you're pushing back, it has to come from that place of, I'm trying to make this video better in the ways that we agreed the video needs to be good. And I would argue with like scary versus funny, the thing that makes your video funny is that it feels scary and then you pull the rug out from under and that's the punchline. So the setup is scary. And then the reveal of like, oh, it's just your roommate, right? That's the repeated joke over and over again. So I think that maybe if there was a thing that you could go back and do again, it would be conditioning them to understand that that combination is what makes the video good. Yeah, that was literally my pitch. I was like, it's going to be funny because it's such a horror movie moment. Mm -hmm. And then we instantly stop it like with a suck back or something. And it's like, hey. Want a smoothie? Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, which which is Shaun of, De- Shaun of the Dead? Yeah. Like it's scary, 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 and then you realize, oh, those zombies aren't really threatening. Yeah. And you know? by the way, none of this stuff is like really scary. Like a kid would see it and cry or right, something. Right, right. You know? It just feels tonally familiar to those horror movies right. that you're referencing. So, is it helpful to understand what a corporation is going for and the way that they work and their corporate culture? Yeah, definitely. Is it your job? Not really. Does it make you better at your job? Yes, but only when you're in these sorts of weird circumstances. And I think also that's the advantage of being there in person, like reading body language, making eye contact, understanding, you know, when you're pitching how, like what things are hitting, what things aren't hitting, all of that kind of subliminal stuff. Because to cut these these corporate people some slack, they're not artists. You're that conduit of explaining everything to them. And they may not necessarily have the vocabulary or experience or wherewithal to really communicate what their problem is. Right. And so they, they kind of only can say, like, I don't like it. Right. That's why when you say like, oh, none of the notes are actually important. What you're really saying is just that like, it takes a person with a ton of experience and their boots on the ground to know how to fix the things. But knowing that there are problems is the thing you need. Right. That's what our audience members should be able to tell us whether they like or not like something. There there actually is like a specific thing that happened, which is I had this idea that the first roommate she encounters, we see him like in silhouette the whole time. Like he's Mm -hmm. just super creepy. This guy's making a smoothie. And I, you know, the DP loved the idea. I Mm -hmm. always love doing silhouette stuff. And then when we were on set, the client was like, oh, he seems a little dark. Can we make him brighter? And I, it's like, well, that's kind of like the point. He's supposed to be like this mysterious guy. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, let's just make him a little brighter. And I told the DP, I was like, let's make him a little, a little brighter. And she said, no, like, this is what we talked about. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, just a little brighter. So, like, okay. So, made, made him a little, a little brighter. And finally, we did it enough times that the client's like, fine, that's good enough. And then now in the edit, they're like, this is too dark. We can't see Don't it. use this shot. Yeah. <laughs> Part of me is like, ah, I guess we should have just made it brighter on set. But it's clear that I was making a different video than what the client wanted, you know? What, what they wanted, yeah, or, or that they were saying they wanted something different than what, they, what the words were. You know, like they were saying they wanted one thing when they really actually wanted something else and couldn't really explain it. Yeah, that like, the, the end product is going to suffer from what many of these branded things suffer from, which is like too much compromise. Yeah. Me trying to meet them halfway, them trying to meet me halfway, and in the end you have like half and have a decent video <laughs> so in summary we all disappoint clients sometimes <laughs> and i think it's okay right you just have to keep going i was a little concerned about whether i'll be hired again by this mm-hmm. production company and team and they all assured me that they I, I didn't ask them that question specifically but they loved what we did and they felt like we yeah. gave exactly what we promised and what the treatment said so hopefully it doesn't affect my employment in the future but i do think that's a little bit of a bummer you know and that's part of that's part of the this job is that sometimes you make awesome stuff and sometimes you make mediocre stuff the wonderful thing about doing this sort of work is that you just gain more experience so you can you learn what pitfalls you want to avoid for the next time and fortunately you've got a, a reel that's 
robust enough that it's not like you're hurting to fill things out. Take some solace in, in that, basically. Yeah. Speaking of feedback, uh, we have actually been getting a good amount of feedback from people that listen to this podcast. We have one guy from Australia, Ewan Williams. Ewan. 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 Damn. Ewan Williams, who said he binged 37 episodes in two weeks. Boy, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I know. My wife can barely make it through one episode. <laughs> Orin, it's so boring. Yeah. That's my impression of Kara. That's not good at all. Yeah. Anyway. Good. And so he had actually written into us saying that he wants to make some of his own stuff and he had asked for recommendations on gimbals, which is like a steady cam type, right? It's like a movie yeah. type thing. Yeah. Um, and cameras and what we recommended. And we haven't written him back yet because I honestly don't know what to tell him. Yeah. I, you know, I think with owning cameras with owning your own gear in general i think that there are some fundamentals that are worth getting you know like having a good beefy laptop that can that you can edit on i think is a worthwhile investment and will last you for for a couple years at least and you'll use it for other things too so that that seems like a nice safe one when it comes to buying cameras i tend to feel like the cheapest decent camera so the cheapest dslr with like a good selection of lenses is the way to go right i i've never really owned a camera the way that you have but i've been fortunate enough that i've always had a peer group that had a couple bouncing around so it was never hard i was never limited by not having a camera right i know people are sick of us talking about la versus everywhere else but if you move to LA and you become friends with people, you will have access to free cameras. Yeah, I can I can name like almost every model that people are shooting with right now that I can I could borrow for free for the right circumstances. Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah, but but my thought of is like when you buy a camera, you have to think of it as a certain sort of investment because um you know, when you get into paid work, the relatively soon you have a budget for a camera or you're working a com- with a company that owns a couple cameras right. so you don't need to buy one unless you're a dp and that's your stock and trade and you kind of want to come with a camera but even with this the whole philosophy came out of talking with dps because like they'll lose out on jobs for not owning a sp- certain camera or whatever or get a job because they come with their own camera sometimes which is the worst and i, I hate that mentality but you don't need to buy the best camera because uh, a production that's going to need a bit like an Ari Alexa, which is an expensive camera, like kind of the top of the line, they're just going to rent it. You know what I mean? So like I say, get kind of the cheapest that lets you get some practice under your belt and looks good. So like, you know, I have, a, I own a T2i, you know that camera? Yeah. Like the Rebel, the Canon Rebel. Yeah, it's a Canon Rebel. It's like like your mom probably has a better camera than I do. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, she has an iPhone 7, so she probably nice. does. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, look, obviously when you're getting paid work, you don't need to worry about the camera. They're going to rent it. And obviously a DP that's trying to get hired because he or she owns the camera is going to buy like a Red or an you know Alexa or at least a C300, something where they're going to spend at least fifteen to $20,000, right? So. Yeah. I think let's exclude all those scenarios and let's talk about a person that's listening to this podcast that wants to go shoot some stuff mm-hmm. and make things. Um, you, they could rent a camera, you know, renting uh, mm-hmm. like a, C, a Canon C300 or something, which is kind of a good all-around camera that looks good, that's easy to pull focus on, that has XLR inputs for good audio. You know, it's probably not very expensive depending on where right. you live. Um, but if you're going to buy stuff... I. You know, I personally, I did go through a big phase of owning a ton of equipment. I still have, you know, my garage is filled with C-stands and lights and all, all of that stuff, uh, which I haven't touched in years. If anyone needs to borrow that, uh, let yeah. Matt know. Yeah. <laughs> He'll get it out for you. Um, but uh, I think if I were starting today, I would probably get exactly what you said, like kind of a Canon DSLR Yeah. by, you know try to save up for a 24 to 70 lens, a 16 to 35, you know, the zooms, um, and then the 50 prime or something. And I don't know, it depends how much you want to spend. Um, and then in terms of like a, a gimbal or a movie, I think they have super cheap ones now, like under a thousand dollars. Yeah. I, I would say I'm going to back up a little bit and philosophically say, I think that you should just buy the 
like the basics to get your fundamentals down. So get yourself a tripod with a fluid head and a DSLR that you can afford with one decent zoom lens and get that 50 prime, which is literally $50 if you get the slower one. Um, just so you're, you're making choices about what lenses you're using and, and a decent computer with, you know, a subscription to the Adobe Creative Suite and you are good to go. Like, you can make an incredible movie with literally just that gear. Oh, and a, sorry, um, a Rode mic that kind of will, like a shotgun mic, basically, that you can mount to that camera. Right. And a lav would be nice to have <laughs> a wireless yeah. lav. Yeah, I mean, that's a problem. It's like you start falling into this hole of all this stuff you need. But remember, you know, we interviewed Dean um, Patterson? Peterson. Peterson the other day. And he was talking about, we, we were debating about whether, you know, you would shoot a scene in a moving car or a parked car for budgetary reasons. And uh, to me, it seemed like those, those are two very different scenes. So when you ask us, like, what kind of gimbal you should buy, to me, it depends. Like, are you the type of director where all your shots are like Steadicam shots? Are you the type of director mm-hmm. that likes dolly shots or really static shots? And it's all about these interesting angles. Like, a gimbal is not in my required equipment list like you can handhold cameras you know you can put them on them tape them to the hood of your car or whatever um so i i really don't know that much about which gimbal to get i usually ask dps to get us a movi and they say that the movi always breaks down and they'd rather have a steadicam guy and then i just tell them to talk to the producer you know yeah um and figure it out because i don't really care i just know what i want the camera move to be uh so I don't know. In terms of equipment, like my philosophy is always like get whatever you can get, whatever gets you really excited and what inspires you. I really love, I have like a Manfrotto monopod, which is like Mm -hmm. freaking awesome because you can do kind of interesting camera moves with it. You can like, you know, you plant it on the ground and lean forward with it. You can use it kind of like a steady cam, you know, hold the stick and like lift it really high and kind of walk with it stable. You can hold it upside down and get like kind of doggy cam shots where you're following people's feet and stuff. With a DSLR. Yeah, it is a pretty cool little... And it's cheap. Yeah. I, I would say also you could probably do that with a lightweight um, tripod. tripod as well. Yeah. yeah. Do a lot it, of the, the monopod I have, the Manfrotto one, it can stand on its own. It's got three feet. Oh, cool. As long as nobody touches it, it <laughs> won't fall over. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Equipment, there's so many great resources on, yeah. on what to get. Um, so I, we don't want to give you kind of any strict advice on that. Um, as long as you're getting equipment and you're shooting stuff nowadays, you know, when we started this, it was like, oh, you have a Sony PD-150 and you're trying to get the film look or the HVX does 24P, like all, all that, that stuff, stuff is yeah. out the window nowadays because yeah. everything just looks freaking 10 times better than anything we had. Oh my God. When yeah. They were making like Blair Witch Project, you know? When was the last time you saw a student film, man? Uh, it's such a bummer because it's just like there can't, the cameras that kids are growing up with are so much better than the thing, like. Than, than anything we could even touch until our mid twenties, basically. Yeah. Have you seen the freaking portrait mode on the iPhone Seven Plus? No. It's like insane. Like how good it looks like a DSLR. I'll show you some pictures in a minute. So, yeah, just get whatever you want to get. It doesn't really matter as long as or it's just edited shoot, well. Shoot on your iPhone, man. Yeah. Like, and then you kind of learn what sort of things you like. You know. Yeah. Um. Well, cool. Well, so thanks for writing and for binging, and yeah, that's awesome. If anyone else is binging our show, let us know. We'd- Loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and stuff gets us really excited and motivated to keep making it. Um, we also got uh, an email from Christopher from Oriate Films. Uh, he said that he actually works in the industry and has a lot of experience with people transitioning into the TV world, into TV directing, and he had some really interesting insights. Um, but can I think the most interesting thing he said in his email about what he wants to hear from our show is, he would love for us to have more managers, agents, producers, executives, people that a, a lot of what we do as directors is tr- is approach these people and try to get them excited about us and our yeah. projects. Yeah, they, they are people that you need to collaborate with to introduce yourselves to other a- avenues of the business, basically. Right. Yeah. And so maybe having some of them on to just tell us what they like and dislike about people that approach them. Uh, would be helpful. So I'm going to have my manager on. He's in anonymous content, which uh, is did a lot of really cool stuff. They made Mr. Robot. They made The Revenant. Um, they also have a commercial division, which I'm not really 
it's pretty separate from the film and TV mm-hmm. division, unfortunately. But my manager specifically, Jacob Perlin, he also comes from a low budget film background, like low budget right. studio film background, right. actually, which is like interesting. Old Paramount stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. And he also is really into the digital space. And he's my first rep that I got that actually appreciates a director that's worked in both digital mm-hmm. and traditional media so he he can be really helpful and interesting but if you guys are interested in hearing certain types of people or anyone feel free to let us know that stuff is really helpful for us yeah i, I want to get in get into this kind of the real shit with them and I, I think oftentimes those people are the best at um spin spin, <laughs> spin. Yeah, yeah 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 like deflecting deflecting things changing you know like that's their whole job yeah. so they're the agents and managers are the politicians yeah. of hollywood yeah right? totally so um so i'm trying to think of people who would like be down to get into nitty-gritty and also wouldn't be scared to you know yeah i knew i did this short film for william morris once they do these like internal videos for every meeting that are kind of fun comedy things and the agent that i was working with was a TV lit agent and I, you know, it took me like a month to work up the guts to ask him if I could show him some scripts because I had a couple of friends that I would favor soon. And I was like, well, I know this agent, TV lit agent at William Morris, I can pass him your stuff. And I finally was like, hey, is it cool if I like send you my friend's packet, you know, which consists of like some writing samples pretty much and a resume. And he was like, yeah, sure, no problem. It was like not even a big deal. And I sent it to him, sent him two different people's things. And he wrote back, he read both of them and he wrote back and he was like, hey, thanks for sending this stuff doesn't really resonate with me, but you know, feel free to reach out again. (laughs) So it was like, it's like this thing that seems so scary to interact with those people, but sometimes it's surprising at how good they are at saying no or giving Mm -hmm. you their opinion. So I I think, I think there's kind of, yes, they're kind of people pleasers on occasion. They don't want to say anything to like turn anyone off, but they'll also immediately tell you if they're interested or will want to pass on something that is they have to do that a lot they do that professionally and i think uh it'll be helpful to hear from them what gets them excited and what what is like something they've heard a hundred times that they don't want to hear again yeah and finally we have a, a a letter from alex alex kellerman from kellerman comedy you know he talked a little bit about um how i in a previous episode uh, love Howard the Duck, the famous terrible movie, and also uh, comic book hero, and that that would be the Marvel movie that I would actually like to direct. Um, so fingers crossed, everybody. But he brought up the idea of um, fan films, and I thought um, that would be an interesting conversation to have because I think you know when the internet was kind of first becoming a real source of video. You know, there were a lot of people making fan films that were kind of getting traction and were interesting and stuff. But I had always been a bit of a snob about it, to be honest, because, you know, in my youth, I was like, well, I'll come up with my own characters that will resonate. Right. Right. Um, and as opposed uh, to me, it just made like parody after parody, parody after parody, <laughs> after parody. Well, but then, then you're putting your own spin on it. Right. Um, but whereas like, like doing a true fan film. Um, and I think that the level of fan films has, has always frankly been quite high. Like if you think if you look back at like those old star Wars fan films, the, right. the star even Wars George fan Lucas and love. Right? Yeah. George Lucas and love. That's a perfect example. Like that, you know, that's kind of, you know, a genre mashup, but still a fan film in, in its own right. That level has always been really high and has frankly been a source for, um, Hollywood to kind of like an opportunity for people to break in. Right. Because you do just see, the level of filmmaking and craft and attention to detail. And it's something that you're already a little familiar with. So it's an easy gateway into that sort of work. And then, I mean, you look at like Power Rangers now, right? Like that's thanks to a very high budget fan film that turned, changed people's minds about how relevant Power Rangers is to a generation. Right. Yeah. And now they're making it. It's funny because I was just thinking about this yesterday. And it looks kind of good. Yeah. It looks fun. It looks um, fun, yeah. Which is now today with Twitter and the ability to kind of like make fun of something as soon as it comes out or as soon as it happens, I do wonder if parodies become less relevant unless you have a really, really unique angle mm-hmm. on something. But 
I was watching, I was actually going to talk about this in my unpaid endorsement, but I was watching this show that Vogue makes, Vogue magazine. It's called 73 Questions. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's, it's really cool. You guys should check it out. Check out the Emma Stone episode is the one I just watched yesterday. And I was like very impressed by it. It's all done in one shot. Yeah. The, the creator is Joe Sabia. Do you yeah. know Joe? Yeah, I know Joe. Look, what you see on screen is someone holding a camera and talking and they knock on a door and a celebrity opens the door and they say, hey, this is Vogue and we're going to ask you 73 questions. And they're like, okay, let's go ahead. And they ask 73 questions in a row and they get 73 answers. And while they're talking, they're walking through mm-hmm. their entire house. They're like, you want a beer? You want a cup of coffee? Mm-hmm. You want this? Like, come up here. Here, let me introduce you to my dog. And it's like amazing. You're like, how, are, how is this person answering every, has like a perfect answer to every one of these questions? And my friend, <laughs> who you know, sure. uh, and is also friends with Joe, revealed to me that they rehearse for a day straight. They pre-light the entire house. And sure. then they go and they do this one take shot. But the way they do it, it feels almost natural, almost like. Oh, I think maybe maybe that's to Emma Stone's credit. I've seen a handful of them, and I was never under the impression that they were off the top of their head. But also, that's fine, you know. Right. Yeah, I guess I only saw Emma Stone, and then I saw parts of Kylie Jenner. Um, yeah, like the Neil Patrick Harris one, which again is very good. You know, he he shows consideration, but it's not. You don't feel like oh. You're just now answering this for the first time. Right. Well, so I was even wondering, like, are there cue cards? Are there mm-hmm. like... Oh, interesting. But Blake told me yeah, the whole thing's like more or less scripted and rehearsed. And it, to me, I was just impressed by the production value because it yeah. does feel, even if they got all the questions ahead of time, which is what I had suspected, maybe they emailed all the questions and then they just had to answer them on camera. But it, they have this whole blocking choreographed mm-hmm. where you see their friends at their house and everything. Um, I was thinking, like, wouldn't it be funny if you did a 73 questions with Hitler or 73 questions with, like, a serial killer or with just someone, Donald Trump, like, do a parody. And, like, as the second I had that thought, I was, like, typed in 73 question parody into YouTube and there's, like, hundreds of them. And it's, like... Oh, really? Oh, wow. Not hundreds, maybe, but, like, a whole page full. Mm -hmm. I didn't go to the next page. But I was, like, there's nothing... The obvious parody is already taken. Right. Like, you have to really elevate it in some really big way in order for your parody to stick out. And I think it's something that is true nowadays that wasn't really true five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think Twitter is a big part of it. It's like if they already said the best joke on Twitter, is it still worth writing the script, getting the production together and trying to get people right. to watch this yeah. thing that's now almost two months old and no longer relevant? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's kind of nice to think of the way that the internet has evolved, right? Like when you and I were coming up, it was like parody videos and like, you know, kind of like really broad sketches and... Yeah, when I know, started, like you could say like, did you see that dubs? Twilight parody? And people mm-hmm. would be like, oh yeah, I saw that, it was really right, good. Right, <laughs> and, and I think now the things that people are sharing and watching a little bit more either they go, they're like a, even more ephemeral and it's like just a pure meme, right? Or maybe something a little bit hardier in terms of content and time invested, right? Like mm-hmm. high maintenance wouldn't be a TV show now if it had debuted as a web series in 2007. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, fan films, I guess, yeah, make them, but they have to be good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I saw like a Joker one that went viral relatively recently. It had its own spin, I think is the other thing, especially if it's something where you've seen it on screen before, you know, like a Batman. Right, well, one of our past guests, Oren Brimmer, kind of got to start doing these Batman parodies. And I I wonder if they would be as effective nowadays as they were then when there's just like this plethora of like, comic book parodies online anyway so alex thanks for writing and yeah fan films right now i think matt and i are are not working on them but you know who knows what will happen in the future yeah yeah i mean if it's good enough for joseph khan then you know it's good enough for everybody exactly joseph khan directed the power rangers fan film yes um anyway now we are going to get to our favorite section of our favorite segment of the show unpaid endorsements so 
Matt, it's not really even an endorsement, but I watched Logan and it's so good. <laughs> and I know you're not a huge Marvel movie fan, but you gotta watch Logan because it's almost like an indie film. It kind of reminds me of Hell or High Water mm-hmm. in a way where it's like these kind of slow character scenes intercut with these like insanely awesome action yeah. scenes. And it's like a hard, hard, hard rated R film. Um, Do you see Wolverine's dick? Uh, that's pretty much the entire time. Oh, it's cool. Like, okay, uh, well then. Shame. Have you seen that? Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Shame with claws. It's like it. a bloody version of that. Um, <laughs> cool. Uh, no, you don't, but there's a lot of blood and gore and quite a few F-bombs. Um, but it was just like the simple movie that was like emotional and I don't know, the action was really good. It was directed by James Mangold. You know him? Mm-mm. He directed The Wolverine. <laughs> Night and Day, 310 to Yuma, Walk the Line. Oh, I love 310 to Yuma. Old Girl Interrupted, Copland. Yeah, Copland's uh, great too. But yeah, I love 310 to Yuma. I think that movie was really underrated the year it came out. I thought it was great. Another great Ben Foster um, performance. Yeah. I think he's awesome. In that and movie. he does have, James Mangold does have a story by credit on Logan, even though it's based on a comic book. So I don't know what to tell you. Cool, way to go. Well, yeah, I'll, um, I'll tag yours. Have you seen, were you a fan of the X-Men cartoon? Uh, no. Oh, well, you missed out. It was great. But uh, as a kid's cartoon, you know, Wolverine is a, still like a, a pretty heavy character in the, in the whole thing. So there's a super cut we'll post in the show notes of all of the different fake swear words they invented for Wolverine um, because he can't drop F-bombs. Oh, in so the instead of saying like, are you out of your fucking mind? They say like, uh, oh no, he says gutter trash all the time. Oh, <laughs> gutter trash. Yeah, yeah. Does yeah. he have that voice? Like, yeah, super rough voice. It's, it's not quite. It's not full on Batman, but it's like yeah, it's like oh, uh, gutter trash. And Logan, he's pretty much like uh, yeah. old man. I mean, yeah. he's old man Logan. Yeah, it's cool, man. Well, I think I'm maybe ready for another one. It's not that I have a a huge problem with Marvel movies or any superhero movie. I love superheroes. I love comic books. It's more that I just don't want them to be the only movies that Hollywood makes or that I see. And there's right. so many of them that it's easy to just kind of, if you go to the movies once a week and you don't, you're not good about watching other things, it just becomes too much. Now, are you bothered by the genre? Like you don't want these types of movies to be the only movies that are being made? Or are you bothered by the IP that it's, it's like the IP issue tied yeah. to Marvel? Yeah. And they get a little formulaic, you know? Which is why I think Logan is so good because it's not. But if Logan was about a guy that had claws in his hands mm-hmm. that was violent and can heal. Right. But not Marvel, like an original character. Would that make you feel any better? Or Yeah, it definitely right. would, but uh, then people wouldn't go see it, which is why Hollywood made it in the first place, right? Yeah. See, so that's... That's the challenge. Right? That's what I'm... I'm trying to do the indie film version of yeah. Logan, which is like the original character with like a somewhat recognizable actor, not Hugh Jackman. Yeah, yeah. But doing I, awesome action stuff and having these great emotional arcs. I, to me, like, I think there's something really wonderful about being able to work in with these characters that we're so familiar with and are so iconic and so graphic. In a sense, you know, reinventing Batman is, is not unlike putting your own spin on Hamlet. You know, like there's, oh, I think yeah. there's a ton of really interesting work being done in superhero genres. It's, Totally. Yeah, even like the Baz Luhrmann, Romeo and Juliet was like, we'd never yeah, seen that before. Exactly. It was so cool. Yeah, yeah. So like, um, you know, I love pop culture and I, I, I get all that stuff. It's more just, you know, I want to make sure that my uh, diet is diverse, basically, that I'm not right. just eating potato chips. You're into diversity and eating. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll uh, Logan and also Wolverine's super cut of gutter, gutter trash. Um, but my uh, unpaid endorsement is actually a uh, re. I'm doubling down on the Durango Film Festival. Jody McVeigh Schultz, mm. who directed Echo Lake, we had on the show. Mm-hmm. That was his endorsement, and we just got back this weekend and had a really wonderful time. It, you know, I think small regional festivals they're real hit or miss. You know, sometimes you go out there and you realize, like, oh, your movie is playing in the basement of a church or something. Mm-hmm. And like no one shows up, the community isn't really interested or engaged, and you're in some crappy town in the middle of nowhere. Durango is the exact opposite. The programmers were so personable and great. 
um, the community really came out. Like every we we were in a shorts block, which tends to be a less uh, attended sort of uh, lineup. Uh, we had a nine a.m. show that was basically sold out. Wow. And that's just from people, early risers in Durango. Early risers in Durango, no doubt. Um, and uh, they treated us really great. They had a car service pick us up from the airport, you know, and like they were engaged and into it the whole time. Um, so, um, double endorsement for Durango Film Festival. Cool. Okay. Well, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Oren. Good to hang out, man. Yeah. Nice seeing you. Yeah. The only time Matt's willing to see me is if I'm, I'll record my conversation with him. Yeah, that's true. I, we do, I, Oren records with a bag over his head too. So it's really just when he comes and goes. So if you want to find out more about uh, Just Shoot It, the podcast, you can go to our website, justshootitpod.com. You can follow us on Twitter at justshootitpod. And you can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback. If you can leave us a rating and a review on iTunes, that would be really awesome. We'd really appreciate it. And we're going to read some reviews on. Uh, the next episode. On the next episode. So if you want to plug yourself and your project in your Kickstarter in our iTunes review, yeah. we will read it out loud uh, on the show. So, yeah. Uh, music is from the Free, Free Music, music Archive. Archive. And the artist, Jazar. Jazar. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks, Catch you next time.